This morning we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read a, a rather short portion of Scripture this morning. But nonetheless, if you would stand in honor of reading the Word of God, if you're able, I will understand if you're not able to, but if you're able to, uh, we're going to open by reading 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And the Word of God says this, Rejoice evermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord, that we have to gather here this morning. And I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to fill this place. Lord, I pray that you would touch hearts today in a way that only you can. Lord, you know the need of every heart. And I pray that as the Word of God goes forward this morning, that you would just touch it and use it in the lives of each one. Lord, I pray for the soul that may not know Christ, Lord, that they would turn to him and be saved today. And Lord, for the Christian, Lord, that you just remind us we have something to rejoice about. And Father, we ask now that you'd meet with us in a special way. Work in hearts and lives. And we'll give you the thanks for all of it. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So we have a pretty simple command here. Yet I believe it's just as binding as any other command that we can find in the Word of God. Uh, Rejoice evermore. Rejoice evermore. Here's what Charles Ellicott said of this. It says, The Christian who remains in sadness and depression really breaks a commandment. In some direction or another, he mistrusts God, his power, providence, forgiveness. The command is especially good for a persecuted church like that of Thessalonica. And then he cites Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. And it says, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And so, listen, we have no excuse not to rejoice. as, As Ellicott mentioned there, the churches that are under persecution, we don't face that today. The worst thing that happens to us, we hang out some door flyers and somebody may call the church and complain that we were out there trying to spread the gospel. We get all discouraged and distraught about it and frustrated. Well, it's my right. Well, it may be your right constitutionally, uh, but we still need to have the Spirit of Christ nonetheless. But that's not persecution. But we should still praise the Lord in in that and rejoice in that. Uh, Regardless of the circumstances, we should be a rejoicing people. The, The song this morning. It doesn't matter what happens. The world can collapse. But we have a God that doesn't change. We should be a rejoicing people, but I have observed often in our Christian circles that we fall short of carrying this out. I know Patch the Pirate sings the song, the Poochie Lip. I think it's Patch the Song. We get the Poochie Rip rather easily. We get out there, and, and I, you know, I know I don't, so, I don't know why I pick on my wife, but she's got a big bottom lip. It's good for kissing. Um, but when she gets tired, this is true story, and she, she is not offended that I would say this. When she gets tired, her lip droops because it's so big and heavy. Listen this morning, church, we need to be careful that we don't have a poochie lip. 
we have much to praise the Lord in rejoicing. And hopefully this morning, I just want to encourage you to rejoice evermore. But we can begin grumbling and complaining, can we not? Far too often and too easy. And the reality is this carries over into our worship service and the enthusiasm we have in church. We have a lack of enthusiasm in worship, boredom with the preaching, boredom with the singing of hymns. Uh, Lord, help us. Why is it that so many Christians seem to have no joy in their life? There could be many reasons and circumstances. I understand that there's seasons in life where we might be uh, weeping or grieving. Uh, But overall, we should have a joy that is evident in our lives despite the circumstances. Because we have a Savior. So I want you, I just want us all to be on the same page about defining or understanding joy or this, this thought of rejoicing evermore. And so pray for me. There was a, there's a preacher, Bill Marshall. I don't know if any of you have heard of him. He's an old evangelist. Now he pastors in St. Joseph, Missouri. But uh, he was saved out of a life of sin. And he, when he gets up preaching, he's like, he'd start to kind of stutter and stammer a little bit. And he's like, pray for me. I can try to get my two brain cells that are left back, you know. <laughs> But I found myself, I was looking at some study for Sunday school, and it kind of intermixes with this morning. And so I, I found myself in Sunday school kind of, I wasn't sure which part of my notes I was, was it this or that? So pray for me that I can keep this straight. But as we look at this, but in the text here, rejoice here in the text is a word, it's kairo, uh, and it has its primary uh, verb meaning to be cheerful, calmly, it's a verb, a primary verb that has its meaning to be cheerful, calm, happy, or well off impersonally, especially in a salutation. Uh, sometimes you see this, uh, it's just translated hail. Uh, that would make sense there under that. But it talks about God's speed, a greeting, but it says joyfully rejoice is the idea of this word. And then evermore, uh, I, th- I thought this was interesting, uh, pentoda, I believe is how you would pronounce it, but it's an adverb meaning Every every when, uh, at all times, always, ever, more. And at the root, truly means at all times and in all circumstances. And I'll back that up by reminding you of Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That word always is the same Greek word that's translated evermore here. So the idea is that we're rejoicing Always in every circumstance, even in difficulties, even in challenges. And sometimes that can be, especially, you're right, brother. Amen. Why don't you come up here and preach for me? That's good. Um, Especially in difficulties. Uh, We ought to be rejoicing. Uh, and it has this, these Greeks word have uh, a lot in common with the, when we look at the Greek word rejoice, but it has a lot in common with the word joy, obviously, which is kara. Uh, and that word kara for joy that we get is, has its root in rejoice, uh, but it means cheerful, calm, delight, gladness, greatly joyful, fullness, according to Strong's. Uh, but it, I want you to understand this this morning, and this is kind of where we're going to look at this morning. It's closely related to uh, the word charis, I believe you pronounce it, which is the word grace in our Bible. And then charisma, the word gift. 
in our Bible. And the man said this. It says, we might like to think that charisma and charisma as that which produces joy and kara as the response to a gift which is given. So the response might be rejoicing. Uh, joy is the deep down sense of well-being, listen to this, that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. There's an old song that says this, happiness happens, but joy abides. Happiness happens, but joy abides. And so as we look at this relationship between the joy uh, and the gift, well, we look at that, that word charis and charis, charisma, we, I want you to understand that relationship. And uh, we have or show joy in direct response to the value that we place on a gift received. The greater the value we put there, the greater we joy or rejoice in receiving it. You guys look dead today, so I'm going to give you a couple examples. If you get the gift of a penny, uh huh, yeah, thanks, appreciate it, you know, whatever, right? Someone gives you $100, well, that's a blessing, thank you. But when someone gives you a, a million dollars, yep, yeah, here we, woo, right? You're going to get excited about that because we place a greater value on that. I think you guys are picking up what I'm putting down this morning. So I, I hope you can see how the response or emotion of joy is in direct proportion to the evaluation of the gift received. How we value that. So I want to apply that to the joy in the Christian life this morning. Or the joy that we should have. Understanding this great gift that we've received for those that are in Christ this morning. What has God given to us? It's probably easier to say what has God not given us because his blessings are so great and abound. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything that's good in life comes from God. But listen, the most valuable gift is the gift of eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This involves freedom from the condemnation of sin through the blood of Christ, but also it provides fellowship with God as we go through this life. That's a comfort to be able to fellowship with with God as we go through this life, and it gives us hope of everlasting life with God after this life. Talk about a good gift. That's worth more than a million dollars, I would say. Far more. Uh, we can't put a value on it. And, and so should not this immense value of this gift cause us to rejoice and have joy overflowing in our lives? It absolutely should. Acts chapter 8, if you want to turn there, you can. Uh, but this is uh, the, the account of the Ethiopian eunuch. You know what, I'll turn there. Acts chapter 8. We're going to look primarily at the verses 37 through uh, 39 this morning. Acts is after John for those struggling. Acts chapter 8. But verse uh, 37 through 39, the Word of God says this, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, 
Thou mayest then. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they uh, went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were uh, come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way, what did he do? Rejoicing. He understood what had taken place. I don't, I don't have time to really unpack a lot of that, but, but listen, it, it changed him. So in, in verse 27 in, in Acts chapter 8, you could, I believe that's the verse where it talks about he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And so we have this man that's leaving now a place expecting to meet God, and he's perplexed by the scriptures that he's reading. There's no joy, there's no excitement. But when the preacher comes and expounds the scriptures, tells him what he's reading, and he receives Christ, and he's obedient to Christ, right? He's baptized. What happens? He begins rejoicing. That's the natural response. It's like, my goodness, I have eternal life now. Praise God. He's rejoicing in his salvation. Albert Barnes says this. It is the privilege of Christians to do this. Talking about rejoicing evermore. Not to certain periods and at distant intervals, but at all times. They may rejoice that there is a God and Savior. They may rejoice ill the character, law, and government of God in His promises and in communion with Him. The Christian, therefore, may be and should be always a happy man. If everything else changes, yet the Lord does not change. If the sources of all joy are dried up, Yet this is not, and there is not a moment of Christian life in which he may not find joy in the character, law, and promises of God. Listen, God never changes. We should have joy continually. Christ died that we might have joy. Do you have joy in your life this morning? But as I mentioned this morning, oftentimes this isn't the case. Many believers possess this gift, but they don't respond in joy. Or rejoicing evermore. Perhaps it's because we do not appreciate the magnitude of our sin. We do not appreciate that sin had separated us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Boy, do you remember where you were in separation from your God? The God? How we were condemned to spiritual death in hell, the lake of fire. For the wages of sin is death. That's your sin. The magnitude of your sin. Sometimes we get the idea that we're a little better than we are. Uh, perhaps we don't understand the magnitude of this because we take on a world's view of sin. It's not particularly that bad. It separates you from God. Not that big of a deal. It's only really a violation of my human relationships, uh, and it can be fixed with, I'm sorry. No, it's much deeper and more grave than that. The wages of sin is death. Condemnation. Uh, But instead, we need to look at it from God's point of view. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, 
He's guilty of all. You're no better than anyone else. When we begin to compare about the seriousness of sin, well, this person's done this and this person's done that. In God's eyes, you're guilty of it all. You've transgressed the law. You're separated from Him outside of Christ. Listen, and we know this sin affects everyone for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not one in here that can say, not me. That's not applicable. Listen, your sin separated you from a holy and righteous God. And I don't think until we really understand the magnitude of our sin, we'll begin to appreciate that gift that we've received. It, it makes that gift so much more valuable. <clears throat> Do you appreciate what Christ has done? Yeah. The magnitude of the gift. Amen. He took your place. Right. He took my place. That we might be reconciled back. That the separation might be removed. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us by, or to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit that God was in Christ reconciled in the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. Do you understand what Christ did for you? He removed it. God doesn't account for those things any longer. That ought to get us excited. That's, that's reason to rejoice just right there. In Christ, God has removed the ledger of sin in our life. What a blessing. What a gift. What an amazing gift. Listen, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. This gift, and I can't even fully wrap that all up or unwrap that today because it's so vast and really, it's really beyond our understanding entirely, I would think, or I would say. But the great gift of eternal life in Christ, why don't we understand this and I don't know, sometimes we just don't think about it, maybe. We don't meditate upon what God has done for us and, and what He did in Christ. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. John 15, 11 and 1 John 1, 4. John wrote it, Jesus spoke it concerning the design to give us fullness of joy. Maybe Christians don't take the time to contemplate it. Jesus taught it. He had his apostles write it. It's there for us. I think if we really thought about it and contemplated about it, we would understand the gravity of our sin and the great magnitude of the gift. And it would cause us to rejoice. As I was watching, and it... And it it's just funny, when you sit up here, you see people. And because you guys are in a crowd, you don't always feel like you stick out as much. You know, because you're surrounded, right? And you just, you're just in the group. But up here, you can pick out faces and things. And, and you can pick out the lack of smiles and rejoicing when we sing about... And, I, and I'm not being rude this morning, because I get it. I've been in church before. 
And I'm from the West. We're pretty tame when it comes to rejoicing publicly. So this church, you got my wife and possibly some Caleb, he, he spent quite a bit of time at Faith there. They can be my witness. The churches here are downright rowdy. The church services here are downright rowdy compared to where we're from. And I think we're pretty reserved. Listen, we have reason to rejoice. And there's no need to be embarrassed about it. It's hard for me. There will be times I'm sitting in my pew and my heart is just like pounding and just the Lord. And it's so good. I I can't bring myself to do this. (laughs) And then there's some of you. Standing up, yeah, you shout amen and praise the Lord, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Of all people, we have the reason to rejoice. Of all people. I just want to encourage you to rejoice in the Lord this morning. I think oftentimes we allow ourselves to be influenced by the world and its standards such that we value material things over spiritual things. Those things that are just physical. Rejoicing over a job that we receive. Got a new job, praise God. Maybe a promotion at work or a raise. We get up and and you get excited about that, but we don't get up and just get excited about the gift we have. Boy, I know I was excited when I got my wife. I know ladies are excited when they finally hook a dude. Sometimes you'd think people are more excited about that than they were their salvation. Do you believe that your salvation is worth more than that million dollar gift I mentioned in the introduction? Far more valuable. Nothing in this world can compare. But oftentimes we get so excited about those things. And listen, we ought to be excited about those things. God gives us those gifts, those blessings. I'm not saying not to rejoice in that, but but what's the greatest thing to rejoice in? Where do we esteem the level of those gifts in life in compared to our salvation? We ought to rejoice that we have the opportunity just to be here today. There are people around the world that can't do what we're doing today. And here we are taking it for granted, sitting with a poochie lip in the pew. Listen, we're a blessed people. So I don't want you to misunderstand it. I'm not suggesting we shouldn't rejoice in those material things. I believe God blesses us and gives us those things. And we need to be thankful for them. But if we are not as joyful over spiritual gifts, we need to retrain our thinking through the Word of God. Put our thoughts where they ought to be. Sometimes we just, we tend to overreact in emotionalism, I think. Um, there's certainly a danger in that. Uh, emotion 
Emotionalism is where emotions rule instead of God's word. How we feel about something is how we're doing it. That, that can be dangerous. Um, it is often uh, better felt than told kind of a religion. Emotionalism. It's not what the Bible teaches. Some people depend more on how they feel or what they feel in their heart rather than basing their beliefs on the Bible. So we do need to be careful. Uh, sometimes those emotionalism type things manifest and they're characterized by disorderly outbursts. Uh, I don't know why, but, well, I don't know why I have Facebook, but sometimes I don't know why I get certain things in my Facebook feed. And recently I saw these really charismatic or Pentecostal, these churches where people are just hopping and bouncing, and it's just so, like the whole place is that. It's so disorderly. And a lot of times, I've only been in a couple church services when I was real younger, uh, and I was in churches like that, and it seemed like what was taking place outwardly didn't really fit with what was being said or supposedly being preached or taught. It was just like, it was just people were just going nuts. And so, uh, listen, we do need to remember, let all things be done decently and in order. <laughs> so sometimes those th- displays, they're just they're pride, and, and I don't know what they are, honestly. I've never felt the need to do something so obnoxious. Um, but they're dangers of the other extreme. Resorting to dead formalism. I may be guilty of this at times, where there's little or no emotion shown. Whether it's in singing or offering an amen. I'm not kidding, man. There would, I, you could go through a month of church services where we're from and not hear one. I think it's a little, a little looser these days, but there, I've been in churches like that. We need to be careful. If we can't get excited about what God's done for us, what... So, in worship, which does not involve the heart, is, I believe, wrong. Ye hypocrites, well did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The extreme to which we can go can be quite absurd. Acting like goons fools, clowns, or just being so formal that we refuse to be vocal about praising our God. I came across the story and it illustrates it well. <clears throat> a man, he comes to a, a worship assembly. The preacher's up there eloquently preaching, like today, uh, expressing God's love for us. And this, this visitor says, amen. And he draws several eyes. What's this guy doing? And uh, the preacher goes on and he states, Jesus died for our sins that we could have forgiveness. And he says, hallelujah. And now this guy's starting to get some looks and some whispering in the crowd. He's like, what is this guy doing? And the preacher continues on. And he states that through Jesus we may have eternal life. And the man says, praise the Lord. And at this point, someone gets up and goes over and talks to the newcomer to inform him, we don't praise the Lord here. That's the wrong end of the spectrum. 
well, if we're doing it decent and in order, that's the only guideline we have that I'm aware of. I believe it honors God to praise Him and rejoice with His people. And listen, as we get here in the congregation together and, and somebody's rejoicing and somebody's, listen, somebody's having a bad day, having a bad week, and they see their brother or sister rejoice it, it's an encouragement. I believe there can be both joy and orderly worship. I think you can get, about, uh, get excited about the things of God without getting crazy and just being foolish about it. There's room for amens and praise the Lord's. Now you guys are going to hold me to this. I'll try. I'll try. Here's a couple verses to remind you. Be glad then, ye children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. Psalm 122, 1. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Boy, this ought to be a house of gladness and rejoicing. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. We ought to be a rejoicing people. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I believe that comes from joy. Rejoicing. Understanding what we have been forgiven of. Understanding the great gift we have in Christ, eternal life. Oh, but many Christians enter the worship of our Creator and Savior with the enthusiasm and vigor of somebody filing their taxes on April 14th. (laughs) Tax day's on the way, by the way. That should not be. We have much to be thankful for. And if you do have a hard time, here's a few verses that I think might help. Psalm 51, verse 12. This is David's prayer when he's confessing and getting things right with God. And it says, restore unto me, look what it says, the joy of thy salvation. Listen, we can have sin in our life that puts a separation, once again, in the fellowship we have with our Father. So, But if you get that stuff right, he can restore that joy. And that excitement. I understand that weeks get long. I've been a part of those weeks that are seven days, but they feel like 10 or 12. Those are tough. But we still have much to rejoice about. And so maybe you need to ask God to restore that joy. But we might need to allow the Word of God to do its work. Jeremiah 15, 16, the words, or thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was uh, unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart, for I called by thy name, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Well, maybe you just need to get into the Word of God and allow the Word of God to remind you of how great He is. Listen, it says, For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Listen, we're in the family of God. There ain't no greater place to be. We can rejoice and glory in that. I believe if we would spend time with the Word of God, we would learn that we also have been called of God. God loves you. You're a part of His family. We've been called out of sin and its consequences, called into a wonderful relationship with God and Jesus Christ, where we all can be made new. 
with such a knowledge of God's great gift, joy, is a natural reaction. Psalm 89, 15 and 16, it says this, Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. We ought to be a rejoicing people. Those around us should see a difference. There should be a difference in how we conduct ourselves in our community because of the great joy that we have in our salvation. Do you have joy? Perhaps you don't because you haven't received the greatest gift. You don't know Christ as your Savior. Listen, today you can receive the gift. If you don't know Christ, I urge you to come talk to me, uh, one of the deacons or anybody really will point you in the right direction. We can take you through the scriptures that you can know that you know the Lord and that you have received the gift of eternal life. Listen, maybe today you just need to come to the altar and pray, God, restore the joy of thy salvation. I think I said this recently, and it always just blows my mind to always know that God doesn't need me, but he wants me. And today, if there is something, whether it's because you're not in Christ and you don't have eternal life or because there's sin in your life, I urge you to come to the altar and ask God to restore the joy of His salvation in your life, that we can be a rejoicing people, encouraging one another to continue on for the Lord.